Welcome to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast series. Welcome to the audio podcast or the YouTube series if you're joining us today by video. Today I'm joined by Michael Dash, the author of Chasing the High, a gentleman that has overcome a 20-year addiction that has started a program called Fate from addict to entrepreneur. And something we just spoke about offline, he's been an amazing story of building up a company with $5.5 million a year and selling it, not without challenges, but also overcoming his addiction by doing some great and amazing things like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So as we were talking about um, offline at the moment is, you know, everyone talks about their building up and their business and where they are today and your program. The first thing I saw about yourself and your history, um, we just spoke about it, is actually that you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Now to me, that sort of thing on the list that most people, maybe 1% of the 1% ever would have the opportunity to even try it and then actually complete it. So can you tell my list, listeners about that moment you decided um, to do that, you know, that adventure for yourself? Sure, absolutely. I actually uh, have was involved for years with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So mm -hmm. I raised a lot of money for them throughout the years. But all the time when I was raising money, there was an event around uh, the fundraiser. Yep. So I ran four marathons with them. Um, with their a branch called Team and Training. Mm -hmm. They train you for marathons, and they also train you on how to fundraise, and you raise a certain amount of money, and then you get in the marathon, uh, they get you an entry into the marathon. So I yeah. had done that in previous years, and then this opportunity came up called Climb for a Cure. Mm -hmm. So, And that was, again, raising money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and then they take you, well, you have to pay for it, but they take you to um, Africa and yep. uh, um, provide you the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So it was an eight-day climb. It was amazing, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Yep. If anybody has the opportunity to do it, I certainly would. And what makes it even more amazing is when you can achieve uh, a uh, athletic um, you know, event like that, but mm -hmm. also at the same time give back. Yeah. And you're raising money and giving back to a good cause. So a lot of life lessons learned on that mountain for sure. Something that Michael didn't really mention, and I think it is, uh, you know, a big thing and it shows a person's character. Like you said, he's most of the work that he's done over the last few years and for years before that is raising the funds for leukemia and research and so forth. And I think it stands at something like over $100,000 of uh, funds that Michael has worked in to actually raise for that those organizations. I take my hat off to you, Michael, because you know it shows a person's character about how much what you're willing to give your time to allow other people's money to go towards charity organizations. So I say a big thank you for myself and for anyone else that is ever affected by leukemia and any of the research that sits behind that. Yeah, thank you. I'm a big believer in uh, paying it forward. Uh, I always say pay it forward because it'll always pay you back. And, uh, you know, over the years I did my fair share of, uh, let's say, um, not the great, not treating people the greatest mm -hmm. and getting wrapped up in my own ego and building a business and, you know, just kind of treating, uh, just not being the person that I really am. So mm -hmm. anytime I get to pay it forward, uh, or pay it back, yep. whatever way you want to look at it, <laughs> I, uh, I certainly try to do that. 
Awesome, love it. Um, so just as you said about your business and your past, so we'll take it back uh, quite a bit of time. In a, um, a big thing about your story is uh, being an addict for over 20 years or 20 years. And it was something as small as uh, uh, a situation with yourself. And I think you said your uncle when you were 11 years old that triggered the start of an addiction for 20 years. Is that not the case? And if you let the, the listeners know that story of what happened there. Yeah, my uh, amazing uncle introduced me to gambling when I was 11 years old, mm -hmm. and I won my first bet. And that was probably the worst thing that ever could have happened to me because, like, I, I got this rush in just making the bet and watching these football games with my uncle that I yep. was immediately, like, drawn to it. And that started a 20-year gambling addiction. My father was an entrepreneur. I worked in his stores when I was eight from the, you know, eight years old till I went to college. And he had a warehouse also. And in the warehouse, all the guys gambled. So mm -hmm. as soon as my uncle introduced me to it, then I started asking the guys if I could gamble with them. Whatever I would make as a you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old, 13, 14, whatever, with my dad, I would put and, and make bets with these guys. Yep. And um, I, I basically, his store was 40 minutes from a racetrack, a horse racetrack. Mm -hmm. So I, the guys from his company would take me to the track. Yep. And then we would be betting on horses and I'm like 14 years old. So uh, then that, that spiraled into card games with my friends. Um, and that's kind of what we did in our spare time. And then I went to college and I figured why make bets when I can take bets. And I became a bookie amongst other things. Which is obviously, uh, you know, another door down a path where you don't really want to be going down in, in that scene or in that situation because, um, it doesn't get a lot of things happen. A lot of happy or great things don't happen down that journey. Right. And when you're in your twenties though, I mean, I went to a small, I, I grew up in a small town, mm -hmm. I went to a really small high school, 89 in our graduating class. And then I went to the university of Maryland, which had like 20, 30,000 people. Yep. So it was a totally different environment and I was exposed to totally different things. And I was just like, I wanted to try everything. So that when I, that's when I started my experimentation with drugs, my roommate from college was actually shot with a 357 Magnum by his ex-girlfriend and it blew his uh, tricep out. He was shot in the arm. Damn. So yeah, it was crazy. So this was on spring break. So when we came back, uh, I went into his dorm room and it was filled with pills. Mm -hmm. So he was just like, try this pill. It'll make you feel this way. And then take this pill and it'll take the edge off of that. And then it was, so it was just this constant thing of like trying different things. And, uh, and then I discovered cocaine and marijuana and cocaine and, uh, excuse me, cocaine and gambling mm -hmm. were like locked at the hip for me. Yep. Like, and, and I started really doing the two of those all the time, every weekend, for sure. I was gambling every day, uh, but I was able to relegate my, my cocaine use to weekends. Mm -hmm. One thing I was always, I took a lot of pride in and I was always good in is sales. Yep. Um, my father taught me how to sell from an early age. I, I could sell ice to an Eskimo, as they mm -hmm. say. And uh, so I was working through college, going door to door, selling home improvements, so I was always able to, and I was still in school at the time. Yep. So I was always able to do really well at my job throughout all this drug use and gambling and all this stuff. So uh, obviously that journey uh, you've spoken uh, and mentioned, it 
took 20 years. So there would have been a point where either you hit the bottom, hit the barrel, you know, what, where was the transition or where was the change where you finally said to yourself, okay, sort of enough is enough and the steps that you took to get away from it or transition away from it to get to where, you know, in that time period, you bought a company um, worth um, turnover of 5.5 million a year. Um, you've actually just uh, recently sold that company with some challenges. We'll, we'll get into that. But where was the sort of the light bulb that said, hold on, enough is enough. I need to move away from this. So I think for me, it was tapping into the power of curiosity. You mm -hmm. know, what happens is as we become adults, we get into this life where it's just like we're on repeat. We're doing the same thing, ever, very regimen lifestyles. We find our comfort zone and we do what, what is uh, natural and, and comfortable for us. Mm -hmm. And we don't push ourselves uh, outside of the boundaries of trying new things and tapping into that curiosity. For me, with, with gambling specifically, I was taking a ride with my brother in the car and trying to put on sports radio and he would not allow me to put it on. And I li lived on sports radio. Yep. And um, we got in this argument and he told me he's going to Gamblers Anonymous. He can't listen to it. Mm -hmm. And we listened to music for three hours on the car ride. And after the car ride, I was like, wow, that was like so soothing. My brain was like going in a hundred directions thinking about what am I going to bet on based on the information that was coming into my brain from, from the sports talk. Yep. And, and I was like, just said to myself, I want to go to this Gamblers Anonymous and see what they did to my brother. Yep. That was it. I didn't have one of those moments that a lot of addicts have where like, mm -hmm. I'm at rock bottom and I need yep. help. I knew that because I was miserable because I would lock myself in an apartment room for 48 hours straight and I would do cocaine and gamble for 48 mm -hmm. hours with no talking to nobody. Mm -hmm. So I knew it help but i never like made that conscious decision until that car ride and the, the smallest things sometimes have the biggest impact on you yep. and that conversation about the radio and knowing he was going led me to say i want to go check it out and i walked in that room and i remember it like it was yesterday there were uh, 20 30 you know men some women in there i looked around i was in my 20s I had a like suit on, nice watch, driving a nice car, mm -hmm. you know, making six figures in New York City. And I looked around and like there was a mailman and a bus driver and a police officer and like all these blue collar people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look at these degenerate losers. I mean, that's what I thought. That's yeah. the first thing I thought. I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. But after two hours and listening to everybody speak, I realized and recognized that I had more in common than all with all the people in that room, then I did what I thought were my closest friends. And mm -hmm. so I committed myself to the program and I actually never gambled again. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it was, that sounds easy, but it wasn't easy. Um, it was a lot harder than that. I had to work the program and I also had people in the program who reached out to me and made sure I was good and everything like that. But, you know, that was with gambling. I, I didn't stop doing drugs until later on in life. Mm -hmm. um, and everything was a, a progression. Like I was actually doing, I was still doing cocaine in New York City because I had moved to New York City after college with building my career and cocaine was everywhere. Yep. Um, it was just in your 20s, you're out of clubs and it's all over the place. And, the, you know, so I, I actually didn't stop doing that until I went to break up a fight between my friend and some stranger and I got punched 
I took a punch in the face and mm-hmm. it broke my nose and I had to go get surgery on my nose and the doctor handed me the bill. It wasn't covered by insurance yep. and it was like $10,000. And at that moment I said to the doctor, because I had told him I, I was partying and all this stuff. I said, doc, I'm making you and me a promise right now. I will never put anything up this $10,000 nose. <laughs> and I never did cocaine again after that. You know, like like you said earlier, it, it takes sometimes it's a small moment that makes the biggest change, you know, and that small, tr- not small trigger, but obviously you get in a situation, get into fight, nose breaking, not being covered by insurance. So it meant all of a sudden to your life at that moment, it was a major impact of $10,000 you went, hold on, I can't now stuff, uh, stuff this up or screw this up or, you know, keep show, um, putting cocaine up my nose because to me, it's to almost become too valuable. You know, there's actually been a value added or money added value onto your nose and therefore you said, okay, that's enough is enough and it's, and it's great to see that you made that decision and stuck to it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting about the different events that happen in our lives and you know, what transpires from them. Mm-hmm. Um, because you would think there would be, you know, you hear the old stories of addicts and they hit rock bottom and they ended up in jail or they ended up, you know, in rehab and that's when they turned their life around. Well, I went to jail twice. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I bailed myself out. I got arrested for DUI and I got arrested for possession of uh, GHB, which mm-hmm. is another drug that I was uh, hooked on hardcore. And um, you would think those things would make me stop, but they didn't. It was these little things about like a radio, you know, event in the car or like, I mean, you know, breaking my nose. I mean, that that wasn't little, but like that event. And so it's interesting, like the different things that that get you to kind of wake up and and, like change the direction of your life. I can imagine you've heard quite a few stories like that, you know, through um, Cambrian Anonymous and through the different parts of, like you said, is you'd always think it's the hitting the rock bottom that makes people change. And you, then you hear them, like you said, the radio, the break in the nose, something small, talking, having a conversation with someone, someone saying a specific trigger or sentence that lets them go, hold on, enough's enough and we try and move away from it. You know, so through this path as well, obviously you, you have your challenges, you're overcoming them as well. You've built up a, a uh, big business over the last good few years, something which you've recently actually, I think, believe you just sold the company, but it did not come with quite a long and lengthy uh, process of, I think, um, a legal lawsuit or something around the company. So can yeah. you take, t- talk us through about the company you built up and then how did it get into the sense of, I think it was 10 or 11 months that you ended up in a, in a legal case around this business, get it sorted and then been able to sell it. It was six years. Six years? Six years. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a year for some reason. Sorry about that. Six six years. Like I had friends married and divorced. (laughs) In the same time. In a shorter time frame than my (laughs) lawsuit lasted. Um, But yeah, I was, uh, I had identified an opportunity. I was in New York City. I identified an opportunity in Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places. Mm Mm-hmm. The company I was working for didn't want it because it wasn't in the New York metropolitan area. So I um, capitalized on it because I knew somebody in Utah. We put a bid in. It was for a company called E-Trade Financial. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't wanted to hire 200 financial service reps in three and a half weeks. So we would get like $4,000 for every person we hired. Yep. So you can imagine we hired 200 of them in three and a half weeks. That's great money. 
Mm -hmm. um, so we put a team together, we pulled that project off successfully, and then we got projects in Alpharetta, Georgia, Jersey City, and Tampa, Florida, and filled 800 of these positions in one year. On the side, that was my side hustle. So mm -hmm. after that, that's when I kind of knew I was going to leave and open my own business. So I went to Utah and opened a business called Parallel HR with my ex-business partner who I had done these deals with. Mm -hmm. We built the company up to five and a half million dollars a year within five years. And then we started growing apart because I wanted to continue to grow the company and she wanted to work less and spend more time with her kids. Yep. And we're at an impasse because she still wanted 50-50 and I said, no way. Mm -hmm. So you spend time with your kids, that's fine, but we're not splitting things 50-50. I'm working 10 hours a day. You're working six. Yeah. Like, this is just not happening. And we, we hit an impasse. So we ended, I ended up buying her out and uh, I bought her out. And within six months, she kind of started a competing firm. Mm -hmm. And what, uh, and what I felt was a violation of the agreement. Yep. Put her some payments. Um, and um, basically from that, I held off on the first payment. I, I bought the company for 1.35 million and I paid her a million up front. Mm -hmm. So I owed her 350 more and there was a payment of 50K coming, but I found out she violated the agreement. So I told her, I wrote her a letter that we're doing an investigation and we think you're, you violated the agreement and mm -hmm. she sued me. So based, that started a six year legal battle between me and her. And we were both very, I, I, very arrogant, very ego driven, very emotional. Mm -hmm. We hated each other at the time. Yep. So it was emotional reactions that led me like to this six year never ending legal battle, which was all over 350 K, mm -hmm. but it cost me $1 million in legal fees to my lawyers and then eventually, I'll speed up, but eventually six years later, we ended up settling after we went to trial and everything mm -hmm. for the same 350 that I owed her six years prior. Just tack another million dollars on and six years of my life. Uh, and I learned some really, really valuable lessons. And uh, it's great to hear, not great, but it's interesting you, say, uh, you said that it was emotional state that was driving it all. So when you're in an emotional state or using emotions to drive it, there's a lot of things that decisions you will make that are not the right way. If you're not thinking with a business mind or a clear and straight mind, um, like you said, it took six years. You went down. At the end of the day, you guys were still challenged with the same amount, but it cost you an additional million on top of that. And I'm sure that is some... The knowledge you've taken from that and experience from that is a big thing that you take to businesses today when you go and help and discuss with them about making sure, firstly, you're making decisions with the right mind and the clear mind and not just being emotional or arrogant or thinking over the top and thinking that you're better than the other person because you're going to get caught out. Because in business, it's business is business. It's irrespective of who you are, what you are, what you look like, what your state is and how much money you're coming in with. If you don't follow the right process or do it in the right way, you are going to get caught out. A hundred percent. The most underrated thing in people's lives is breathing. Mm -hmm. Breathing. Such a simple thing because it's, and we don't, most people don't even acknowledge it or pay attention to it because we don't have to put any effort into breathing. Yep. It just naturally happens for us. But in any emotional state that you're in, it's very important to take a pause and take three long, 
deep breaths before you react. Mm -hmm. Because the emotional reactions and emotional responses are the worst kind of responses. They have never led to anything positive in my life, whether it's business or personal. Yep. They've only contributed to uh, negative results. Mm -hmm. We got to remember, like we are in control of our responses. Correct. We might not, we're not in control of how somebody else reacts, but we're certainly in control of how we react. Mm -hmm. And in the heat of the moment, a lot of people forget that. Yeah, and you have to train yourself. You know, it's not like you know we're we're born to act to naturally react, right? But we have to train ourselves to take a deep breath, take a step back. And I learned this most uh, importantly when I was dealing with my lawyers because actually throughout the lawsuit, I ended up hating my lawyers more. <laughs> and hate's a strong word; I don't like using it. But yep. I ended up like disliking my lawyers more than my ex business partner, who I was in a lawsuit with, because I felt my lawyers were just taking me for a ride, mm -hmm. and they didn't take me for a ride because I was uh, ignorant. Um, but all my decisions were made because of my ego was driving them. Yep. And I was in this battle of there's no way my business partner is going to get one over on me. There's mm -hmm. no way my ex-business partner is going to get one over on me. No way. So I would emotionally react to that. And that's all driven through ego. And it was driven from a place of fear. So, um, you know, I learned the hard way um, that when I'm dead and buried, nobody is going to care if I won or lost this lawsuit. Yep. And when I finally came to grips with that was when I was finally able to work through and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I have to end this. Mm -hmm. And that's when I sold my business and settled my lawsuit within the same week and paid off all my bills and started over. And that was last year. Yep. And, you know, and I know at that moment you said you sold everything, you stepped away from it, you cleared it all. You didn't actually know what your next step actually was at that moment, um, if I'm not mistaken. But that's when the same time of when you've been able to build up what you call your fate program um, from, from addict to entrepreneur, as well as in that same time from then to now is when you've also launched your book, which is uh, Chasing High. Can you take us through the, the fate program? I love, I love the word fate that you've used from addict to entrepreneur. The acronym is, is pretty cool and it totally works. Take us through that program. Yeah, so there's a couple of, there's a platform and one of the, one side of it is I actually interview former addicts who are now entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and write articles for Thrive Global and Medium, if you're familiar with those publications yep. online. And, uh, you know, I profiled some great people like Joe Polish of the Genius Network, which mm -hmm. Richard Branson went through and Tony Robbins and Mike Lindell of MyPillow.com. I don't know if you get that in Aussie land. Uh, but uh, it's just pillow he invented. He's big on infomercials and stuff. Yep. I sold 23 million pillows. I mean, can you imagine that? 23 million pillows at like 30 bucks a pop? That's pretty good. Yep. Um, but yeah, so, I, and, and a lot of other people. Um, so I have that side. And then I work with entrepreneurs who are dealing with addictive and compulsive behaviors and take them from isolation to connection. Uh, and I have a powerful four-step process that I work with them through, uh, and we work one-on-one, -on -one, uh, and, and I coach them. 
That's awesome. I love what you say, taken from isolation to connection. Is that emotionally? Is that physically? What's, you know, in that relation? Because most, I know from you previously, you're alone, you're in your room for 48 hours. There's total isolation in that instance. Is it about, is it about just building them some stability around them to know that there's someone to help? No, it's actually putting a plan in place that they can implement into their lives through this four-step process, mm -hmm. which is very basic, okay, but very important. It's about tapping into your curiosity, like I talked about, mm -hmm. and being curious, and getting out from your head and trying activities that will resonate with you. Or maybe you're not sure if they'll resonate with you, but going out and trying them, mm -hmm. right? Maybe that's going for as simple as a hike. Maybe yep. that's going to paint. Maybe that's learning to play a new uh, instrument. Whatever mm -hmm. it might be, trying those things out, seeing what resonates with you. Then from that, putting that into action, right? And taking that action, and that action then can lead to connection. Right. Yep. And you, then you find you're finding like minded individuals who are enjoying the same things. And like there's a meetup.com. There's yep. tons of different organizations where you can go out and join a group of people who are doing activities that you can enjoy as well. And you're not going to enjoy all of them. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's why you need to try them out and be curious to see what resonates with you. Right. Don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone. Nobody's judging anybody here. This is, you know, the way for you to expand your horizons. And then so you once you're building these connections and you're finding these people, then, you know, it leads you to community and tribes. And, you know, that's really the most important thing. But it's all got to start with self uh, recognition, like self recognition that you want to change something. And I give this um, assessment. And um, we basically go through all the activities that you're spending time in in your life. Mm -hmm. I call it the alignment assessment. And we rank them on a scale of one to 10 through an intuitive score that you give it on all these activities that you're spending your day on. We rank them all out, like how you spend all your 24 hours. And then we give an alignment score and each activity gets a score of how aligned it is with your true mission in life. Mm -hmm. with passionate about and then we take an average of that score and every activity below that average we try to cut the time you're spending on those activities and shift them into activities that you're more aligned with or into new activities that you can use that power of curiosity on and then we raise that alignment score so it's as close to really what you're passionate about and what you're trying to achieve as possible and that leads to more fulfillment and more connection I love that. Um, I think you've spoken about before is in, on previous programs that if you bring everything up to a 50% mark on what is most important to you, then you're living a fulfilled life. And, uh, you know, I love how you explain it to the moment is taking a look at what's in your life at the moment, what it ranks as importance, where's the sort of key areas that you want to go to. And then looking at everything below the line and going, hold on, this is the stuff that's actually bringing me down in the wrong way and it's not allowing me to live a fulfilled life we let's transition away from it let's you know either bring it up or get away from it so i can put that energy into spaces that are better for me and my journey at the moment yeah a hundred percent i mean so many people just go through life doing 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 mm -hmm. doing doing right you know as they say failing to plan is planning to fail 
Correct. Like you have to actually sit down and spend some time and focus on what are you spending your time on? And is that meeting your highest intuition, right? Is that meeting your highest vibration? Is it really passionate about some of the things you're doing? A lot of things we do, we, we don't like doing. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing them? Especially if it's your job and you're spending eight hours a day there, 10 yeah. hours a day there. If you hate your job, you can easily change your job. The only person who's holding you back from changing it is yourself because you're telling yourself you can't. Okay. Right? And it's too Tempting. difficult. But everybody has a skill set or you wouldn't be employed, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a skill set, you can take that skill set to another employer right? if you're not being treated right or if you don't enjoy your job. Or you can learn another skill set while you're on that job. So then you can put a plan in place and transition out. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, the big thing in today's culture is you'll be, I'm sure a lot of people won't do it because they'll be too scared to know. And I know a lot of applications in your software and you can do it. You can check, you can track your timing on your device. You know, a lot of people, as you said, if you're in a job that you're not enjoying at the moment and you can either transition out or if you're not sure where you want to transition to, you'll be shocked to find out how much time people spend outside of their nine to five on doing things that is absolutely nothing so sitting and doing netflix and chill sitting there and just scrolling through uh, social media for two three four hours at a time going in the, the dark hole of youtube or watching one video and four hours later you're watching something totally different and actually understanding how big that gap not that uh, that gap is but how much big that time is and if you even just took 50 percent of that and said i come and i'm going to take 50 percent of that time and put it against an effective way that i'm going to help myself transition from the situation i don't like i am in at the moment from a job for example into a new job or i'm going to use that time to actually upskill myself or find myself an online part-time job the world is run 24 7 no matter which city you are in the world you can make an income 24 7 so if you take an hour or two hours of that time at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night and say, okay, I'm going to spend the hour today, the, every night and find an online opportunity to upskill and work. It will slowly start putting you in the right place and get you a transition away from the wrong place. A hundred percent. I found this most effective. I was able to transition out of my life and change my life three years ago when I mm-hmm. took a trip to Bali. And I discovered there were two people at this retreat I was at talking about flow. Mm-hmm. and the study of flow, which is based on making decisions from your intuition, not your head, but the intuitive force. Your, some people will refer to it as your gut, yeah. your heart, right? And not overthinking things. And if it's not a hell yes, then it should be an F no. <laughs> everything you do in your life. Yeah. And that premise right there, I had never heard before. And it really resonated with me. And so I took their course, their online course, which mm-hmm. is uh, the best $1,200 I've ever spent in my life because they take you through a process of clearing out your limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. tapping and EMDR, if yep. you're familiar with these things, and then taking you through implementing positive beliefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, So your limiting beliefs would be like change is difficult, which we just discussed that yep. most people change is difficult, but change is really very easy. The thing is, most people equate change to like the result they want from the change. So they skip through like, all right, I'm just going to do this today. And they think about, oh my God, I want to lose 20 pounds. Oh my God, it's going to take me so much work to lose 20 pounds and so much time. I'm not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Instead of breaking it down into the finite details and saying, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds today. I am committed 
to not eating potato chips and going to the gym for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And then waking up tomorrow and doing the same thing. And that's your only commitment to yourself. Yep. And then doing that again, and then doing that again. And then once you've done that for a few times, then implement small change. Okay, mm -hmm. now I'm not going to eat after 8 p.m. Yep. Okay. And now all of a sudden you've done a couple of small things and you're getting some momentum. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling better about yourself. And then you implement a bigger type of a lifestyle change instead of trying. That's why I don't believe in new year's resolutions. Yep. Like everybody wants to write these new year's resolutions out and they have 50 things. Well, nobody's going to accomplish them because it's such an overwhelming task. First of all, you can make a resolution. You can make change any single day of the year. Why wait till new year's? Correct. Right? And when you put this daunting list together, once you get off, off track and you don't do one or two of the things, you don't do any of them. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say commit. If you really want to make change in your life, do the small things. Do a couple of really small things. Implement them in your life. Do them for a month or two months and then implement another thing. And then all of a sudden you have momentum. You feel positive. Like make your bed every morning. It's such a small thing, but mm -hmm. making my bed every morning. All right, I got something done. Yep. First thing at 6 a.m., right? And then, you know, have a good morning routine. It's very important. Uh, you know, I like to read 10 to 20 pages in the morning and then I feel accomplished. And then I'm, yep. I'm like, all right, I got some momentum. I made my bed. I read. I had my coffee. Now I'm ready. And it's still like 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. Now I'm ready to go work, right? And get some stuff done. But like doing those things and getting momentum, I find is extremely important. And the best way to get momentum is accomplishing small tasks because then that can lead to you taking on bigger things and being confident and having that feeling of empowerment. I love that. I love that message. I love that example and to show how to do transition yourself to change by taking the small bites and then moving over time once you've brought up the the change and slowly and build up the good habits before you take on the big things. And I totally agree with you with New Year's resolutions. I mean, I, I've gone that path myself and taken it, but this year for some reason, uh, out of all years, it just um, it edged me a little bit seeing everyone doing it. And it's sort of, I wanted to come out and go, you know, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for a five day period at the end of the year to make all these big to make all these big announcement changes? How about on the tenth of March we all stand? You know, you do the same thing. If you stood up on the tenth of March and said, "Okay, I'm making a resolution. I'm going to do these thirty things," everyone's going to look at you and go, "Why? Why now? You know, what are you doing?" Because uh, there's so much put on the first day of the year, and uh, but we need to break that mold and go. Every single day, I can make a decision to change my life to the better yeah. I, I don't have to wait if it's in if i'm in october i don't have to wait 60 days um to say i come to start on the first of january and it's it's such a negative i feel it's such a negative way of thinking about it that's part of our society that you're always waiting for a start point to start something which then makes it a lot more pressure to actually be able to finish it yeah i mean 100 percent. i didn't do resolutions i did put uh 20 things i'm going to accomplish in 2020 mm -hmm. which to me is completely different because i'm going to do these 20 things this year yep. uh, my damnedest to accomplish all those so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah no totally so let's let's go to your book chasing the high i know you've got a copy in front of you at the moment if you don't mind putting it up we can show uh to, to the viewers at the moment. One thing that's really cool about that book is what we spoke about is the Mount Kilimanjaro. That is the actual photo that Michael took when he was on top on the on the cover of Chasing the High. And um, 
that is pretty that is super cool let's alone you know and it's an amazing photo so um take our listeners through chasing high the book itself um and what it's offering for anyone who wants to read it because i know you are i think five days six days out of audible um you're a handful of days from um, when this airs it'll be on audible oh that's amazing um yep you can find it on Audible or on Amazon at chasingthehighbook.com or on Audible. Yep. Just I'll put it yep, it's great. It's diff. It'll be on. My, it'll be on my library as soon as um, that time comes. Um, I'll add I, it read, on. I read it myself, so it's my voice. So you get yep. to hear this New Jersey accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure you can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, the book itself, it's, uh, you know, it's subtitled An Entrepreneur's Mindset Through Addiction, Lawsuits, and His Journey to the Edge. And it's really about my story of all the mistakes that I made over the years, about, you know, the addictions that I had, about how I was over uh, able to overcome them, how I discovered flow, which I talked about a little bit, some of the principles of flow. And then I think a really powerful chapter, uh, well, some of the crazy stories also, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a really powerful chapter that is one of several things people can incorporate into their lives is called the habit of habit making. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the importance of building habits into your life. And that as you evolve as a human being, that your habits need to evolve as well. So it, again, it's all going back to that curiosity factor and trying new things, mm-hmm. right? And seeing what resonates with you. And when they do resonate with you, incorporating them into your life. Like one thing that I do a lot now, which I never thought I would do years ago. Uh, and, and most of the things I actually participate in now, I frowned upon years mm-hmm. ago. I made fun of people who do the things that I'm doing now. And now I'm doing them. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not only doing them, I'm telling everybody else they should try it too. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's funny how life comes back and turns around on you, right? Um, but I think that was just because I was like in this mindset of I didn't know any better and, and what we don't know we're usually afraid of. So we make, you know, we, we shun it. Like if mm-hmm. we don't know it, it's not the right thing. It's not good. You know, um, just based on how I was raised and everything. And so, um, you know, having the habits in place um, that will support your evolution is important. So it's important to try new things, incorporate them into your life, into your life, and then build a strong uh, foundation of habits and continue to change those habits as you are changing in your life. So to get back to the example I was going to use is I went to a sound bath. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what a sound bath is. So it's basically a meditation where you're laying down on your back, right? And there's somebody who's playing instruments in in front of the class or around Mm -hmm. you, right? And they're playing like there's a gong and there's bowls, sound bowls, Mm -hmm. right? And I actually have one right here. I'll show you. So this is like an example of a sound. Yep. Right? Most people know that sound. Most people know that sound. So like there's somebody playing these instruments in front and the sound gives, and they have instruments that like, um, it sounds like the ocean almost. Mm -hmm. So they're walking around while you're laying down and like doing it right in your ears and stuff. And like your body vibrates to the noise and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's so relaxing. And like, if you have a day with anxiety and like you're all stressed out and everything, you go into a sound bath for an hour and you come out of there and you feel like, there's no problems in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Like you really True. do. It's the most amazing feeling ever. Like I literally would feel high coming out of there and you haven't done any drugs whatsoever. And it's just this, uh, like sound is very healing to the mm-hmm. body and relaxing to the mind. And uh, they're all over the world now. So I'm sure that you could go on Meetup or you could Google it in Aussie land and, uh, or yep. in, in Kiwi land, excuse me. Um, That's uh, all right. No, the, that if, slip up. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the ironic thing is my lawyer who I was at battle with for years in mm-hmm. Utah was a Kiwi. Uh, it's awesome. It's it's always a small world. Um, we are a small country on the other side of uh, of the world to most people, and uh, we spread out. Well, fundamentally, I mean, I mean, I'm actually not New Zealand. I was South African born, but I've um, New Zealand's home now for the last thirteen years. But uh, I was just in Madagascar. Just in Madagascar. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was in Johannesburg and Madagascar. Um, I would say Madagascar is a way better place than Joburg. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But I, I did appreciate Joburg because I got to, I got to uh, um, tour the jails where Mandela and Gandhi were held. Mm. So I learned a lot. I had no idea Gandhi was even in prison in Johannesburg. I had no clue. Uh, I'm not sure if I knew about that either. And that's something definitely I'll add on to make sure I go research about that. Yeah. So... Um, so taking it back, you know, so like you said, you, you, you've got Chasing the High, your stories, it gives you all the stuff that you, people can listen about, or your life as we discussed, uh, talks about building the good habits, and you know, you're talking about now, you've got habits now that you thought years and years ago weren't good habits, you laughed at people, so all the woo stuff, as people say, right? You couldn't imagine, most people couldn't imagine lying in a room with people with gongs and sounds of the ocean lying on it, and but it's... It's something people learn more and more these days is when you find something, so it's not that it, it will work for everyone. So a big thing is obviously meditation, incantations, uh, clearing the mind, um, float tanks. I love float tanks. It's my sort of thing. But big thing to me, what I find to a lot of people I'm talking about is, unfortunately, the society is making one or two ones as the big thing. So getting up, your morning routine and meditations is quite big in the moment. But to a lot of people, even myself, Morning meditations is not necessarily what gets me going and gets me fired up. So people need to realize that don't just take the habit because everyone else has the habit and it's going to work. Find out actually what is the right habit for you directly. Now, funny, right. to, funny to me, and I was actually um, talking to someone the other day about it, when I've got my headphones on, and sometimes in the last sort of month I've had it, I'll put my headphones on and I'll have nothing playing. To me, yeah. the moment of being able to take a little bit of the noise of the outside world away or being able to put headphones on and listening to an audible or podcast, to me, that is my meditation. That is when my mind goes cool, good content, relax, and listen. So that is almost like my moment of meditation is by me just sitting down, listening to a book, um, or listening to a podcast. Yeah, another great tip is when you're driving, mm-hmm. don't have the radio on. Drive in silence. And I think silence is, so I just went on a four-day meditation, a silent meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. I'd never done it before. And I wanted to see how it felt. And it was actually amazing. The one I went on was, was easy compared to some of these real strict ones. Mm-hmm. Because you could read, you could journal, you could hike, you cooked your own food. So you were, you were occupied and it was a good introduction for me. Mm-hmm. But what I, the, the biggest lesson I took away from that is that silence brings a 
new level of awareness. Mm -hmm. And awareness allows us to discover little things around us. So if we're going on a hike outside, I used to always hike with music on Mm -hmm. my ears. But now I don't hike with anything on so I can hear the birds chirping and I can hear the wind blowing through the leaves and I can hear things that I just took for granted before, but I appreciate now. Mm-hmm. And these are little things, but it gives you this level of appreciation and, and, and it just shows me how important um, silence can be in the noisy world we live in. Because we live in a noisy world where, you know, social media, there's, there, you know, but when I walk outside, I'm in Venice, California now, like cars are honking, mm-hmm. fire trucks are going by and it's loud. Yep. I hear one right now, actually, <laughs> right on cue. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. No, 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 it doesn't come through. But no. it's right on cue. Oh my God. That's <laughs> um, so like, just, just like sitting in silence or listening to like, Audible, for instance, is mm-hmm. a great thing also, especially if it's chasing the high on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> nice cheap pitch. Plug. Had to do a cheap plug. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's funny you said that about sitting in silence. A, a couple of weeks ago, I um, can't remember the top, top of my head, someone's going to be shouting to me across the screen or on when they listen to the podcast. I was watching a movie on Netflix. So I sit at night. Most nights I have something on and I'm doing my content. And it was a movie that was almost the whole thing was done in silence because of the storyline and after sitting there for 20 or 25 minutes i actually felt almost not uneasy but it was just a really surreal feeling of i'm watching something and there's absolutely no noise and like after a while i'm like this this my brain's going what's going on this isn't right it put me in an awkward position and like you said is if you take people um in the busy day-to-day life and you actually sit them down and say okay do what you normally do but we're going to take away all your external stimulation. We're going to take away your music. We're going to take away your audible, for example, for the now. Just sit there or we'll sit in the car for 60 minutes on the way to work with no radio. And it'll be interesting to see people, how they feel and how their brain all of a sudden has to get used to it and transition from chaos, noise, to the other side of focus and clarity as well. Yeah, it all also allows you to you know focus on what you want to get accomplished during the day and you know um that's really important again it all comes back to like planning the things you want to get accomplished or you're mm-hmm. just going to be you're going to allow life to drive you instead of you being the driver in your life yeah totally agree with that i think before we end off today uh michael can you give our listeners one sort of for today or for this week, uh, one point outside of what we already discussed or something to consider and focus on into the next week or next couple of weeks uh, about their lives? I would just say two things. Don't make emotional decisions mm-hmm. um, and breathe. Yep. When you're in a high state of whether it's anxiety, whether it's frustration, whether it's impatience, so mm-hmm. much impatience in this world. Uh, listen, nothing is going to change your life by taking a deep breath mm-hmm. and another deep breath and a third deep breath and then reacting to whatever situation you're in in either of those cases. It's very easy to be driving and somebody cuts you off and they honk at you. Mm-hmm. Well, there's obviously, it's not you. It's the other person. There's something going on with the other person. Yep. So have empathy for them and let it clear. Let it move through you. 
if you're standing online and the person, the cashier doesn't really, is like working really, really slow, there's no need to get frustrated mm -hmm. because you can't do anything about it. So just right. breathe. And nothing's going to change if you're five minutes late for something. Mm -hmm. Right? Nothing will systematically change. It is the stories we tell ourselves that the world is coming to an end unless something happens right now, immediate gratification, and then we have an emotional reaction to it. Mm -hmm. I love so it. Just take some deep breaths and uh, don't make emotional decisions. Those, that's, my, uh, that's been my key to my turnaround. That's amazing. And I think it's a great point to end off the show today. And thank you so much, Michael. And before we do end it off, can you let our listeners know where they can find you uh, and your social handles, please? Sure. Uh, I'm on Facebook at michael.dash1. Instagram is mdash1 and LinkedIn, Michael Dash. And you can find my book at Michael G Dash Book. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> By my book at chasingthehighbook.com. Mm -hmm. My website is michaelg-.com if you want to, you know, reach out and get in touch. I'm glad to give a free consultation call to anybody if they're an entrepreneur and they're dealing with some of the things we spoke about today. Uh, that's awesome. And as I always say um, to everyone on the show is the links will be on social media when I post out the, the episode as well. And to everyone else today that has joined us on the Wolf of Queen Street, on either on the video series or on the audio podcast, thank you so much for coming over. And as I always say, I don't charge, I don't expect anything, but if you enjoyed today's episode, if something resonated with, with the episode with myself and Michael today, reach out to one other person and tell them to come on over, have a listen or share it um, to your friends. But at the end of the day, have a beautiful and powerful day and I, we'll chat to you later.